Packers Daily with Jason Mertides. All right, here it is, Friday. July 2nd edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Martinez. Everybody, first of all, before we even get into the content of this episode, have a safe and great holiday weekend as we celebrate the 4th of July coming up on Sunday. Also, I'm celebrating because uh, I signed a new deal, and we will be continuing this great podcast. And uh, I appreciate the Flyers, the everybody in the organization's support of this endeavor And all of your support as well. The people who listen to this without you guys, it's nothing. It means nothing. It's yelling into a pillow. Uh, So thank you to everybody, and I'm very excited for the next year. Hopefully, it's a normal one. Since we started the Flyers Broadcast Network and started this podcast, Flyers Daily, along with Flyers Fix and everything but hockey with Andrea Helfrich and Prospect Pipeline with Bill Meltzer and Brian Smith and Broadcasters Roundtable with uh, Tim Saunders and Steve Coates and Jim Jackson and Keith Jones. And since we started these, we haven't had a normal year. We started them in January of 2020. A couple months later, obviously the pandemic hit. Uh, we, we forged through the pandemic. We, we kept delivering episodes. And then we came back for the return to play in the bubbles and then it was the shortened off season into this 56-game season, which was at a slightly different time of year, obviously. Still going on for two teams, the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Montreal Canadiens. But next year, it looks like the season's going to get started sometime in the first week, week and a half into the month of October. I think October 12th is the target date to start the season for a full 82, uh, back to regular division alignment and everything. And uh, we're hoping that, along with everybody listening, that we're going to go straight through this year and it's going to be normal. And we're going to have fans in the buildings like we see in some of these locations throughout the playoffs to varying degrees. And some places like Tampa, full, like the island uh, for the Islanders, it was full. Vegas, full. Uh, not that quite the case in Canada yet for Montreal, 3,500 fans for Game 3 coming up tonight. But um, we hope it's normal and we want to go through the ebbs and flows of a season on Flyers Daily because we bring this to you every day during the season. So every day in your inbox or in your queue in iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen, however you consume this, uh, it'll be there for you every morning. Uh, We don't miss during the season. We have never missed. And we've done over, I think, 350 episodes, close to 400 episodes already in a couple of protracted seasons uh, since we launched Flyers Daily. So looking forward to that very much. And I'm also looking forward to this because one of the big questions this offseason, right handy, no, we're not going to go there today. One of the big questions is, Where do the Flyers move going forward when it comes to settling the goaltending position? Now, we know Carter Hart, he needs to have a bounce back year. Uh, But we know it's probably the end of the line for Brian Elliott, who's an unrestricted free agent. And the Flyers are looking to get either younger, maybe a lot younger uh, at that position uh, in tandem with Carter Hart or the backup to Carter Hart, the 1A, 1B, whatever you want to call it, 1A, 1A. I don't know. That all depends on the approach and who you go after. And a little while back to talk about, uh, Carter Hart struggles this season. We brought on Ingle Magazines and NHL.com's Kevin Woodley. Uh, he does a great job breaking it down. He looks at the advanced numbers, everything, and, and you've heard me say it a thousand times, and Kevin, you'll hear Kevin preach it, is that not all shots are created equal. You can't look at save percentage because save percentage is not weighted to quality of shot. And to just give you an example of that, Montreal, to the naked eye, appeared to dominate game two against the Tampa Bay Lightning. And they outshot them significantly in the game. They lost the game. But Tampa Bay out high danger chance them, I believe, six to two in the game. And that's what matters. It's about high danger chances. Giving goaltenders clear-sighted shots, 
from beyond the top of the circles, that's child's play for these guys. That's playing pitch and catch in the backyard with your kid. And all that does is bolster confidence and feel for, and rhythm for a goaltender. So we consider all that. We talk about the options. We talk about how the Flyers uh, could approach this offseason when it comes to the goaltending position. So without further ado, had a chance to catch up with Kevin Woodley from In Goal Magazine yesterday, and here's the conversation. On this episode of Flyers Daily, we are rejoined by a guy that we love bringing on, and I know that everybody loves hearing him because he helps break down the goaltending position better than anyone. From In Goal Magazine, ingoalmag.com, it is Kevin Woodley who joins us. Holy hair, Woody. Been a year, buddy. Been a year. Um, July seventh. Might, might have to get this cut soon, uh, but uh, in the meantime, I don't have any hockey here in Vancouver to worry about till October. So professionalism out the window. We're going to the full Spicoli. I got a couple surf trips planned this summer to the west coast of Vancouver Island. I might as well look the part. Yeah, well, you got it going on. Nice salad going on out there, but uh, I'm obviously jealous because I don't have the salad. But um, I, I wanted to get you on because. You know, we talked a while back about Carter and the struggles he faced this season and and so much of of the environment and the issues the environment causes for him. But now we're in this very unique circumstance with the Flyers where uh, it appears they're moving on from Ryan Elliott, who uh, was a really good soldier here, a good veteran, and good pro. Uh, but they're looking for somebody obviously a little younger, uh, a little bit more reliable, uh, can carry it if Carter gets hurt, struggles, whatever the scenario might be. So I wanted to look at some options uh, with you, the you know, to kind of go through this, uh, some names that we're hearing, some names that we can c- conjecture about. But first and foremost, you know, Carter's off season. W- what's the approach that he should be taking this off season after what was you know a really big struggle year for him, and it, w- it was environmentally based, and it was also his his own doing as well and poor play. Uh, but, but how would you kind of you know say he should attack this off season? Yeah, it's kind of a. It's kind of a tough one because I haven't had the opportunity to talk to him. You, you've had a chance to talk to Kim Dillabaugh. Um, I haven't. So I'd be kind of curious to know, you know, with a, with a drop of truth serum, how much they feel needs to change. And that's kind of where that answer comes from. If you feel like you need to make changes in your game, um, then you start looking at other options in training. If you just feel like you just need a reset, then you stick with your foundation. You don't change how you're training. Like, We've talked in the past about Carter is what I like about Carter is I like the no stone unturned guys, the guys that are always looking for ways to get better. Now that can become problematic for some guys. It can become overwhelming. They get so many different things that they're trying so many different routines in their day-to-day lives in a season, you know, warm up this visualization that, that you can end up, you know, I've had this conversation from guys like Chris Osgood to, you know, a youngster like Thatcher Demko. Sometimes you need to learn to let go of all those extras because they can at a certain point get in the way. So I would think that an evaluation of all those things is where the summer starts. Do you need to make changes in terms of how you train? Do you make, need to make any changes in terms of how you prepare on a game day basis? And do you feel like you need to make any changes to your foundation in terms of um, what anchors your game from a technical perspective, from a training perspective, because that's all the work you do in the summer. It's really hard in the NHL to make changes technically um, in a season. And it would have been even year, harder. Right? <laughs> well, yeah, and, and, but I think it's going to be just as much this season coming up, um, because the one thing about last year, I noticed, yes, it was a condensed schedule, but with less practice, I did, like, obviously just here in Vancouver, and, and only Canadian teams coming through in the North Division, but 
Um, with teams coming in for like five, six days and three games, I saw a lot more goalie time uh, in terms of, you know, the opportunity to get out there early. Uh, you could take a day off. You'd have a three-game set, give yourself a full break for your number one guy and still have two days of practice. Or with the third goalie in the rotation, you could have a goalie session and then let your number one off the hook for the team practice, right? Or, or let him leave early because you had another guy on the bench ready to go because of the, the taxi squad. And so um, I actually think that that's going to be uh, tougher uh, this season coming up because you're not going to have that third goalie and you're not going to have, you're going to have a lot more travel. And we're looking at potentially, I know it's not that zone, but potentially an Olympics, potentially an all-star game. And I, I think this is actually going to be an even tougher season. And that's really interesting because. <clears throat> just one sec, sorry. Hey, you know what? My record button, I didn't start till halfway through that. I'm so sorry. That's all right. Um, I can mix it. Do you want to just mix it? Yeah, yeah. I'll just cross mix it. Or do you, you know, okay. Okay. Sorry right. about that. You know, that's fascinating, and it brings me to a point. At some point, and this is the goalie union card-carrying card, men, card member beating a drum, creating jobs, should NHL teams carry a third goaltender not as a pro that can get into games? It's, a, it's your e-bug and and a guy to, to take shots at the end of practices on one-timers from the point, you know, and just eat up shots. You know, some guy who's, you know, 29 out of college that played at a decent level. Is it time for that? I've been arguing for that for years, and I know there are a few goalie coaches around the NHL that would like to see that happen. I just think there are roadblocks to it. Um, I money. thought last year was a perfect. <laughs> well, well, what can, it's not just money. Like, yeah, some teams aren't going to want to spend on the position, um, but there are teams that have guys on staff. Like here in Vancouver, we one of one of the trainers is a uh, is a former goaltender, played junior level, and you know, especially when we had Ryan Miller here, uh, as he was getting up in years, he would he would. You know, Dave Zarn would come on halfway through a practice and take reps and give him a break. And there are a lot of teams that have that type of situation handy. Um, in terms of formalizing it and making it a position, the argument from the NHL Players Association, and, and this is an argument that I understand has, you know, when these ideas have been floated, has been made, is that needs to be an NHL, that needs to be a job. Like, that needs to be a minimum NHL salary position. Uh, it can't be at the expense of an American Hockey League goaltender getting an opportunity or something like that. And yet, you know, what did we hear from all the guys who were on the taxi squad? Like how bad it was for development, how tough the year it was. I don't think any of them want that role, even if they came with a bigger yeah. paycheck. And then you've got the problems of the shooters and treating goalies. You know, we do play a unique position, but, you know, you are part of a team. And, and part of that is at times sort of as much as it can be detrimental, being part of the practices and, you know, it's not always about you as a goaltender. You got to be out there for the shooters. And let's be honest, head coaches and shooters can get a little bristly because they don't want to be shooting on the maybe the 29-year-old college goalie would be okay, but like they certainly don't want to be shooting on a beer laker down at the other end. They that bugs them, right? So your perfect world, you have three. The third's got to be good enough to make the players happy. Don't yeah. feel like they're not getting cheated. And yet, if he's too good. Uh, you know, I believe and have been told that the argument from the PA is going to be that that needs to be a roster position. And then now we're into roster spots. So there are it, 100%. I've been arguing it for years. Practice goalies are something that's needed. I've had this conversation with goalie coaches around the league, and a lot of them agree. We had a great example of how it can work as a benefit last year, but I don't think we have a chance of it actually becoming a, a legitimate paid position. 
And it'll be interesting because I think goalies are going to suffer next season for a lack of practice time and for a lack of rest even more so than they did this year. Wow, that's fascinating. Um, let's talk about potential replacements. First of all, Woody, there's a couple of different mindsets, the Flyers, and, and really any team with a young goaltender, and Carter's 22 right now, will be 23 in August, um, can take in this situation when deciding on a tandem, a partner, the goalie room, if you will. And you can go with the veteran who was a starter in the NHL that is is not at that level anymore, but is a guy that has been there, done that, can help the young goaltender on and off the ice, and you can have that great relationship and and be a mentor and all of those things and give you good quality starts. And then there's the other way you can go about it where you can go, hey, let's make the, the young goaltender uncomfortable, somebody that pushes him, challenges for the blue paint and getting the call in the crease, and the goalie who's playing the best is going to get it. You know, with knowing Carter and his makeup like you do, what would be the way that you would kind of lean in that in that regard? Would you go with the veteran, or would you go with the guy to push him? I at first it's got to be able to play, right? Like at the end yeah, of the day, we yeah. just all things equal. Schedule. It has to be somebody that can give you time because I don't. You can get pushed by a veteran too. Like you're not bringing in a guy who's just there to hold a hand to be a mentor. Um, I don't think that Carter would bristle at that quote unquote push guy. Um, I think if there's suggestions that work ethic is a problem um, for Carter Hart, then they're seeing a different kid than the one I know. Um, I talked about that no stone unturned mentality, talked about being a pro. And like I said, maybe some of those things can get in the way, all the extra things that he does. But like this kid is all about the game and all about the position and getting better at the position. His work ethic is off the charts. I've never seen anything that sort of suggests otherwise. And so I kind of, I don't say bristle, but I kind of shrug at the, at the whole, you need him to be pushed thing. Um, because I think Carter Hart pushes himself as hard as anyone. Uh, and again, maybe, you know, maybe too hard. Like we, you know, I don't, I don't know, you know, where that dynamic is in terms of um, his approach that way and all the things that he does, but I don't think he needs, an external push. Um, I do see the value in experience if they can help talk him through certain situations and help be someone that he can lean on and get positive advice from as he moves forward. Like I see that as a benefit. By the end of the day, you got to have somebody that can play um, for all the reasons that we talked about. And like, competition is healthy like and frankly in today's nhl you have to have competition because you need two guys yeah especially when you give up the type of chances or the amount of tough chances they do yeah it's a great point and that's something they're working to fix is the environment because that was a big you know carter survived the environment two years ago It, it wasn't a whole lot different this year initially it ended up getting even worse but and the eye test told you that as well along with the the numbers but uh, this year it, it became got to a point where it was unsurvivable and they're trying to address that but how much can they fix of that in one off season um so, so you got to look at that as well and you know and it's gonna be an 82 game schedule so the the good thing about last year for the flyers kevin is that it was only 56 games you imagine yeah. if that would have continued oh the damage it could have well, done i do believe that that 
tough defensive environments can have a negative cumulative effect. Like over time, it gets worse for a goaltender. And the example yeah. I always point to, and it's easy, is the Oilers years ago. Um, not all that many years ago, but like, listen, like you're a goaltender, you know this. If the system says, this is the like a super simplistic example. When you see our Ingle Pro reads and realize the level of detail that a goaltender reads what his defense is doing and supposed to do and incorporates that into their reads, like this is really simplistic, but it makes for an easy example. If on a two-on-one, the defenseman has to take away the back door. It doesn't even have to be a two-on-one. The defenseman's got the back door. And you have 10 opportunities across the back door and the defenseman doesn't take away that pass or doesn't eliminate that stick on the back door that he's supposed to be doing nine straight times or nine out of those 10 times. Well, or nine straight, then on the 10th one, what are you going to do? Your, your tendency is going to be to cheat, to hedge towards it. And the NHL, you can't cheat. You can't hedge because as soon as you start leaning one way, we've seen this even with Terry Price, as good as he's been in this playoffs, the Toronto series, um, I think it was Morgan Riley where he comes in and, and Kerry cheats the pass into the middle and basically Morgan just holds the puck, drags it, and has the whole glove side. You can't cheat in this league. Shooters have their head up and they're too good. And so you have to be able to trust what's going on in front of you. And I think that over time, when what's supposed to happen doesn't happen, that can become a snowball that gets pretty big rolling downhill. And that's where your sort of negative cumulative effect. So as much as Carter survived it, I wouldn't say thrived, but played above a really tough expected environment two seasons ago, this past season, you're right. Like for a lot of different reasons, um, environment just being one of them, it seemed like it got away from them. And, you know, again, I, I still think, you know, I don't want to reiterate what I said in our last conversation too much, but I still think too, there's some elements of his game that to me didn't look the same either from the guy that, you know, I grew up watching and, and predicting big things for. I thought there were things he got away from as his foundation. And so you almost need a reset of both, in my opinion. And again, this whether Kim and Carter agree with it will affect whether he goes back to the things he did in the summer or tries new things. But a reset of his foundation, and if you're resetting the system, getting him to trust that is going to be a big part of this. And, you know, Honestly, it's going to have to start out of the gate. The, the best part is they yep. have a preseason. The best part is you get a preseason again. Um, and because the other part that he's lost this year, we talk about carry and that sort of impact on shooters that he can have because he's always set, he's always square. He always, you know, you, you, get a, you get a cross-ice pass, you go to dust it off by the time you look up, you're looking at his logo, right? That was Carter's game for the longest yeah. time too. And it becomes a bit of a mystique. That's gone, right? Like that's gone for Carter. He has to rebuild that from the bottom up. And so I think the start is going to be important for them. And, and again, I know you asked me about pushes and who they should bring in. I, I got to be honest with you. I, I don't see him as a guy that needs a push. Um, I know those, those, those storylines and I don't even want to say the word narratives because it matters. Like your partnership matters. Yeah, it does. Um, but I don't think the push part of it is an issue for Carter Hart or maybe in Philadelphia they're seeing a different guy than the one I saw here. But work ethic has never been an issue. Yeah, when we had Kim on last time, Kim Dillaball, the Flyers goalie coach, she talked about it, that the work ethic is there. He sees it every day. And the kid holds himself to such a high standard. And that's what drives him. You know, you mentioned that. That's funny, the backdoor thing, because I mentioned it so many times. There was a game in particular this year against Boston where he got touched up three times early in the game, backdoor. They lost 5-3 in the game. 
three times back door. And you saw the video when he smashed his stick. That was after this game because on the on the fourth goal, Brad Marchand saw him leaning a half an inch. And this this league is unforgiving. <laughs> you lean that half inch, and he beat him short side. And I know for a fact that is the one that bothered him the most. The back door, that's supposed to be covered. You're right. The structure's supposed to be there, and you're relying on it. And it doesn't happen. You go, okay, they beat our structure or whatever. But when it happens three times, the fourth time you lean a little bit, and then you get punched short side, and then you're pissed off because you're going, oh, no. You know? it's, a perfect, it's a perfect example. And also, again, I said that the, the back door, and the, like, those are the obvious ones, right? Yeah. Like That's the thing. Those are the ones that we can see clearly, and that's why I use it as sort of a rudimentary, simplistic example. Yep. When again, when you go through our the in goal, we have these pro reads where the goalies sit down with us and review video, and my mind was blown at the amount of detail where their reads on where they should go, what safe selection to make, what depth to choose, uh, whether they should load up for a backdoor pass or cross ice pass, you know, whether they should change their rotation, get flat to prepare for it, all these like snap instant reads and decisions that they make as the puck and ten guys are flying around the zone. The amount of times these goalies have explained to us, well, I'm doing this because I know my defenseman's going to go there. Or I'm doing that because I trust my defenseman is going to do his job and be in this spot and I don't have to worry about it. Like, that's a big part of those reads. And when that, when you can't trust that to happen, like, two-on-one's the easiest example. There are probably a hundred different other plays um, that I don't think us, I wouldn't even be able to pick up, up on because you almost need to know the system and where guys are supposed to be yep. to know when it breaks down. And the only guy that does it is the goalie. And if he comes out in the media afterwards and says, hey, listen, man, like that's not on me. Oh, forget about that, right? Yeah. Then you're not a team guy. So um, I, I don't, you know, I don't want to blame it all on that. Like Carter has to take responsibility for parts of the season too. And like I said, there are elements of the game that, you know, I, I saw devolve in my opinion over the course of the year. Um, but it's certainly resetting that will be most important. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of Carey Price. The year they hired Luke Richardson, um, we get an opportunity to spend time with Carey every summer. And I remember that summer, there were, I mean, there, there have been a lot of things over the years, the injuries and coming back from them and all that. But the most excited I've seen him is when they hired Luke Richard, Richardson as a defensive coach because he felt like they'd be able to put in more of that structure that he could trust because he'd been asked to carry a team behind a bad defensive environment for years. And, you know, you're sort of seeing Luke in the spotlight now uh, in the head co- as the head coach or replacing Dominic Ducharme here in the final because of Ducharme's COVID exposure. But, um, like, that matters. Like, and, and goalies are aware of it. And, and so it's going to be really important to the Flyers, whether it's personnel that changes, whether it's system that changes along with personnel. Like, they need to get that nailed down, ironed out in training camp, uh, trust, from the goaltenders and, and having a new goaltender actually might help this because that new goaltender is going to have to learn the system as well. And everybody has to get on the same page. And so you sort of, you almost start from square one and rebuild that process so that everyone is on the same page as the pucks flying around with 10 guys. And you got to find it to make the right decision at a million miles an hour. Everyone gets on the same page early. Cause you know, obviously starts going to be hugely important for this team. And that's going to be a big part of whether their start is good or not. Yeah, people here are certainly familiar with Luke Richardson from his playing days as well. And, um, you know, it's funny because <laughs> the, the the environment, we talk about it so often because it means so much. But, um, yeah, Price was, you know, 
playing behind a fire wagon, which was all over the place. Then you see the structure. That's been a big reason why that team has marched to the finals is they're destructed. Keep them clean. Yeah, I mean, oh, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, um, I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about gambling on this podcast, but, yeah. uh, uh, you know, I've, there's, some, there's, some numbers on, there's some numbers on the Montreal Canadiens season. Defensively, five-on-five, five, high danger chances again is a, is a really important number for playoff success. It's been a pretty it's been a, it's been a really good predictive number for playoff success for the past couple of seasons. And Montreal was second in the NHL in that number. So as much as they're the, you know, the out of nowhere Cinderella story, that is they give up five on five, very few high danger chances. They're one of the best defensive teams, high danger Tampa Bay. When they won the cup last year was number one in that set. When they were knocked out in the first round two years ago, they were like 19th or 20th. This year they were mid-teens, but where they've sort of blown that stat apart is you, you, they know what it takes to play that way. They won a cup doing it, and as soon as the playoffs started here, it's like they flipped the switch and, and buckled down defensively because they've improved in that area. And so we can talk about goaltenders, and, and they're obviously important until the cows come home, but when you're, you're not able to sort of defend at five-on-five five and prevent um, those types of chances, uh, you know, that's where I, you know, I think that that's the, that's the biggest impact as much as what goaltender to choose for the Philadelphia Flyers is going to be important. That's going to be a much bigger impact, uh, in the coming season in terms of, you know, where the Flyers are at and whether they're going to give their goaltenders, uh, you know, enough of that support. And I'm, I'm basically ragging the puck here because I'm trying to look up their number from the past season. Um, it's not going to be good, Woody. a A lot of high danger odd man rushes yeah there's a lot a lot of cross cross slot line passes they gave they gave up it all they did a good job in that regard they were consistent yeah yeah they were 24th they were were 24th in the nhl in terms of five on five high danger chances again i imagine the islanders were high yeah, Islanders were fifth. Uh, again, yep. Tampa was lower than, but again, they've just really flipped the switch in the playoffs. Um, Toronto's toughest matchup. Like, I thought this might be the year for Toronto because this was they were they were right there, right behind Montreal. And of course, it goes to seven games. Um, you know, Washington was high too, but were undone by goaltending and goaltending decisions. I thought in the playoffs. Yeah, uh, Islanders were high. Colorado was high. So I mean, your top teams generally generally are better in this stat. I mean, goaltending tends to a certain extent bail you out. Uh, Winnipeg wasn't great and and made the playoffs. Tampa Bay wasn't great in the regular season, but they have one of the best goalies in the world. And same with the Vegas Golden Knights. But for the most part, your teams that move on when when it counts are teams that are good defensively like that. Yeah. And the Flyers have not been. Something else I've talked about a ton here is that you can have a team that wins in the regular season, and that's all well and good, but to win in the playoffs, it's a different ball game. And I love that predictive stat because it, it bears true. Uh, let me ask you about a few guys in particular. Um, there's a lot of scuttlebutt about conversations with the Columbus Blue Jackets in regards to Seth Jones for the Flyers, and obviously that would uh, be a big step and help improve the environment. But uh, if another player were to come with them on that, uh, on that charter, if they were to make that exchange, or even if it wasn't with Seth Jones and they improved the D somewhere else. Jonas Corpusala is a name that's out there. We know that the situation in Columbus with Merzlikens is there. You can only protect one goaltender. Corpusalo may be the guy that's available. Um, he's not had great numbers. The, the team has kind of deteriorated a bit as well. He has not had a great uh, goals uh, saved above expectations numbers, uh, but he is a young goaltender. Um, he is a guy that if he gets hot, 
I mean, any goalie, if he gets hot, it can be great. And we saw what Corposalo was in that playoff series. But uh, when you look at Corposalo, he could be an option. Well, yeah, and, you know, to be honest with you, Corposalo and Merzlikens were both available last season, and this is a credit to the depth chart that Columbus has built in Cole. Like, they've got, you know, just a, a couple more great young goaltenders coming up behind him. Daniel Tarasov is the one that I've got my eyes on, came over from Russia at the end of the season. And so when you have a depth chart like that, it makes it easy to sort of make, or easier to make decisions like letting Bob go and rolling with Corpy and Merzlikens. My understanding is both those goaltenders were on the market because I know other teams, uh, had conversations about sort of either or last summer, but the asking price was just too high. Well, now uh, they're not quite in the pickle uh, in terms of the expansion draft because Elvis is actually exempt from the expansion That's right, draft. Yeah. So um, they don't have to make an either or decision there, but they sort of do need to for, for other reasons. Um, Corpy has, there's a lot of things in his game that I love, including his cap hit, um, but mostly his, or his patience. Right yeah, his is, his is lower than Merzlikens. Um, patience on his edges, on his skates, in a game that's become increasingly east-west, um, he just holds his edges really well. Um, and I think that patience and ability to sort of wait out and move, move laterally uh, are strengths of his game. And yet, you know, to me, this decision, and, and you know, I, I got off the track there a little bit, but to me, this decision is about taking – the Flyers' environment, as much as you want to improve it, being realistic about what you can and can't improve how much. And we can quantify what they give up. Like, we can quantify using a site like ClearSight Analytics, using a service like ClearSight Analytics, uh, Stephen Valaket's company, you can quantify exactly what type of chances they give up a lot of and give up few of. And then finding a goaltender that fits their strengths and weaknesses with that goaltender strengths and weaknesses. So just one little sliver here is, again, we talked about the high danger chances. The Flyers give up the third most. They don't give up a lot of low and mid percentage chances, which are the kind of the low ones, especially I call them the 99 percenters. They pad your save percentage, right? Like, so they all love those as goalies. Oh, we love them for some goalies. They also serve like as a way to sort of find their way into a game. Some goalies need them. So I look at, and the other thing that the players give up a lot of, they're, they're like the fifth worst team in the league at the slot line play. Plays across the middle of the ice, below the top of the circles, into quick shots, uh, one-timers, cross-ice plays, seam passes. They are not very good. They were very bad last year defending it. So we pull up Corpusalo's numbers, and overall, you're right. It's been a, it hasn't been a great year for him. But last year in particular, when I look at slot line plays, he has a negative number there. He's a couple goals on the wrong side of, of expected. And so am I investing in a goaltender that in his career, and when I add the season before that, it doesn't get much better, has not had a lot of success on slot line plays. Do I target a goaltender like that for a team that has not, had not had a lot of success defending slot line plays? Like that would be one of the ones that jumps out. Now I look at screens. Screens have killed Corpusala, like way into the negative numbers below expected. Rebounds are, are, are not great either. And I look at what the Flyers give up and, you know, screens, they actually give up the fourth fewest in terms of expected goals as a result of screens. So that's not bad. That's a Corpusala weakness, um, but a strength of the Flyers defense. That might be a fit. Rebounds where he's got negative numbers. Well, there's, the Flyers are sort of 
just in the bottom half of the NHL. They're not terrible, but they're just in the bottom half. So those are areas where, hey, we give up a lot of a certain type of chance that he's not great at. I'm nervous. Well, screens, he's really not good at, but we don't give him up much. I Okay, yeah. that's not bad. Rebounds, same kind of thing. You can look at that. And we can break this down to, like, I think 30-plus different types of chances and really see – you can almost plug goalie X into team A and see what you're going to get in terms of how he's performed the last two years relative to how many of those types of chances you've given up. And, and you can find a good solution. Philip Grubauer is going to be the cream of the crop free agency this summer amongst the UFAs. And when I look at those breakdowns, he doesn't necessarily fit yeah. the Philadelphia Flyers. Even if they could get him, I'm not sure I'd recommend it. So I think it's really important to get that granular is that the yep. end-all, be-all answer? No, but it's sure as hell going to give you a better idea, not just of what you're getting in the goaltender, but whether he fits your system and what you give up and what you don't give up. Yeah, it's just the square peg round hole. Yeah, I got a goalie that's really good. He's great in this system. They don't, they don't give up cross-line passes. Environment's great. And then all of a sudden you put him in another environment and things that he's not good at, and you expect him to succeed. It's, it's not, it's not going to work. Well, and that's, I mean, the, the best example I can give you, and I hate to, to, to pick on both the team and him, was Eddie Lack in the Carolina Hurricanes. They acquired him at a, at a reasonable cost from the Vancouver Canucks, coming off a really good season with Vancouver, um, signed him to a two-year extension, and then he shows up in camp, and they basically asked him to change his game. He, Eddie, Eddie, Eddie had a lot of strengths in his game. Skating was not one of them. Okay, like like when we like he is he was very much a spot to spot crease movement was excellent, but sort of slow skating, not a strength. He played low and wide. He moved pretty efficiently for a guy who played low and wide in his stance setup. But if you asked him to become a an, an outside in goaltender, he was very much an inside out, not quite goal line like Lundqvist, but everything was sort of through the middle of the net out to where you need to be depth wise, sort of you know working from the goal line out if not that deep to start with. Three-quarters depth in the crease. In Carolina, the first thing they did, because they were a team that controlled possession for long stretches and then had a tendency to give up rush chances. And so that was they were a tough team to play behind because you would watch them warm up the goalie at the other end. And this is a conversation I had with lots of goalies that were in Carolina. You watch them warm up the goalie at the other end with a bunch of 99 percenters. And control play for minutes at a time. The other guy's just padding the stats, and all of a sudden you're facing an odd man rush, which is tough mentally, and not all goalies can handle. It's the Cujo thing, right? Curtis Joseph, one of the great goaltenders behind bad teams. Put him behind the Detroit Red Wings with a great defensive team and expectations to win. Didn't go so well. In Eddie's case, they asked him to become an outside-in goaltender. Traded away an asset, signed him to a two-year extension, and then basically asked him to play to what I would argue is his biggest weakness by getting outside of the crease and backwards flowing into his net to match the speed of rush chances. You don't need to be a rocket scientist. You just, uh, any, any goalie coach I've had that worked with him in the summers could tell you that wasn't a strength of his game. And here's a team that acquired him, invested assets, locked him into an extension without seeing him play, and then said, oh, by the way, we need to change how you play, and we're going to have you play to your biggest weakness. I mean, I'm sure they didn't put it in those terms because maybe they would have realized how stupid it was, but that's what they did. Yeah. And there's just no need. Like, I gave you the numbers on, on all those different types of chances. You've got to go beyond that. Like, rush versus end zone. How much do we give off the rush? Is this goalie a good skater? What do his numbers say on the rush? Like, 
again, I can't get that granular for every guy as we go through a checklist, but teams can. Yeah. They have these numbers, and those are the conversations, along with do we need a veteran, do we need a push, that you need to be having as a team before you make a major investment in terms of money or term in the most important position on the ice. I don't know where the Flyers rank in terms of having these conversations and looking at these numbers. I can't tell you that. Um, more and more teams are investing in this. Some, I, I can't give, I'm not allowed to give examples of who is and isn't using it, but I know at least one last year that was a team that relied on this heavily in their UFA decision on goaltending and went from a team nobody expected to make the playoffs to being a very solid playoff team this season. Yeah, yeah I, lo- I love that team too. They were they had a Selkie Award winner. <laughs> That's pretty good by me, isn't it? Oh, and I was, it was actually a different one. I, I, you oh, okay. Second, but yeah, no, this is actually yeah, this is actually a different one. I think this one would fly below the radar, and I definitely can't uh, I can't give this one away. Okay, <laughs> I won't press you any further. Uh, let me ask you one more guy here, um, because he played in a bad environment, played for a bad team. I look at his numbers and and. His, some of his advanced numbers, and I go, wow, this this is really impressive considering everything, and it's Linus Olmark. Uh, when I look at what he's done in Buffalo, he's 27 years old. Uh, he's a guy that I look at and go, I, I, I'd have to dig real deep to that granular level, but he's a guy that I really like, Kevin. Uh, I like the way he plays. I like the way he's handled that environment over, over his time there, and I, I, I think he'd have to be a consideration. Yeah, I'm a big Lena Solmark guy. Um, not, you're right, because the way he handled the environment, uh, his numbers, when you look at just the overall broader picture, pull it back, uh, he has been above expected, both save percentage, and obviously comes with that is, is expected goals uh, for the past couple of seasons. You know, he's kind of been, he's been in a, that tier um, where, and it's been for long enough uh, that you kind of trust that's who he is. And so then the question mm-hmm. would become, what does he look like in our environment? And that's when you get into the granular level. But yeah. from a sort of the broad scope, and I said this going into the trade deadline, like I didn't hear his name enough. And eventually Buffalo took him off the table because they hoped to resign him. And you saw how much better they were when he came back. Like yep. Linus Allmark, to me, should be near the top of this free agent class right up there with Philip Grubauer. Now the one question mark is health and an inability to stay healthy for the past couple of seasons and a lot of injuries that have racked up. I know, you know, that would be my only hesitation question mark. I need to know what I'm getting in terms of where he's at with his health before I made that investment. Um, but again, Linus Allmark has been for the past couple of seasons, just consistently, steadily above expected on all those metrics. You know, quickly pulled up his chart in terms of where he fits on this team. You know, really the only sort of two negative numbers are screens. And again, that's not an issue for the Flyers. Yep. Uh, rebounds is slightly below expected. Breakaways, that might be an issue. The Flyers give up, you know, a ton of those. I think sixth or seventh most in the league. Um, but I look again, we look at, you look at uh, slot line plays, well above expected there. Like that's an area where he outperforms his environment pretty consistently. Uh, his high danger numbers when you look at them um pretty much everything except the breakaways and rebounds are, are above expected like he he seems to fit system and in, in terms of the chances they give up uh and he definitely fits overall like he's just a really good goaltender the only question there would be health and of course you know yeah. what does it cost yeah what does it cost how much what kind of a term are we looking for yeah, great point. Availability is ultimately, it doesn't matter how good you are if, you, if you're not available. It's the most important 
element of uh, a professional athlete. It's availability. Um, well, this was awesome. The other one, listen, the other one for goaltenders is opportunity. Yeah, like, big time. Like, I don't know that, you know, like, there are going to be some goaltenders that think very highly of Carter Hart, and they're not going to want to invest years if they aren't sure they can uh, not no goaltender is going to be like I can't outplay this guy but if you know given what the Flyers have invested in Carter given if they think he's as good as as I think he is there's going to be hesitation there from goaltenders to want to commit to a team where their opportunity their ceiling will basically be how well Carter Hart plays because they're not going to get if if he gets back to his old form they know they're not going to get an opportunity to be a number one and so that's part of the sales pitch is is opportunity and and i'm not sure how i'm not sure how other goalies view the opportunity in philly whether it's just to be a a 1b or do they really think they can go in there and and push for number one time and that too will affect you know the options that the flyers have on the unrestricted free agent market great point great point because if you're coming in and going hey hey, we'll give you 25 games 27 year old guy doesn't want it doesn't want much to do with that he wants to pave his own way and have a chance to battle to be the starter I think it's a huge point that you just made. Um, Woody, this was awesome. I, I love having you on. You know that. You and I go back and forth all the time uh, about the position because we love it um, because it is the most important position in sports, not in hockey, in sport, uh, more so than the quarterback who leaves the field to play uh, when the defense trots out there. So uh, I appreciate you jumping on, as always. Check out ingolmag.com uh, and uh, Kevzingol is your Twitter handle, ingolmag, uh, at ingolmag on Twitter as well. You guys put out great stuff. What's the, the uh, Instagram? Because you guys put great videos there as well. Oh, that's, uh, I think it's just Ingol Magazine. Put me on the spot there. Uh, I should probably know this <laughs> off the top of my head. Uh, I think we are just uh, Ingol. Ingol Mag on, yeah, it is, yeah. as a matter of fact. Yeah, it's, it, yeah, it's Ingol Mag on Instagram. Sorry, we got too many. we got Ingol Media on some places, but we are Ingol Mag. And Kevin is Ingol on the Twitters. And uh, if you're not a goalie, Ingol Mag, probably not for you. But if you are, I guarantee you won't find uh, the level of instruction and tips we offer from NHLers anywhere else. Well, the, the other thing, too, if you want to understand more about the position because it is important and, and you know sometimes people are quick to criticize the position but the more you know about it the more educated you are the better you are as a fan as well so uh, i implore people to go check it out as well i'm a premium member and it is well worth it so kev thanks for joining us man i will talk soon yeah thanks Jason. always thanks to kevin woodley for joining us on flyers daily uh i hope he one of the reasons i like to bring kevin on is i i think he does a great job of explaining the the nuance of the position. I try and do that. Kevin's really good explaining the nuance of the position. And uh, we both play it, Kevin and I. We're both card-carrying goalie union members. And I, I hope that for some people it, it kind of it, it educates them on the position because it is, it is one of those positions in sports that's incredibly, incredibly important, but it's also incredibly misunderstood um, because it, it, a lot of times when – you don't know the nuance of it. You go, goalie, see puck, stop puck. It's not that simple. Environment is such, such a big factor for success of goaltenders. And you got a good dose of why that is in that conversation with Kevin Woodley. So thanks to him for joining us. And thank you for listening. Have a great holiday weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you on a Monday edition of Flyers Daily. Really